0: Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and pastoral ministry from those with proven experience in Christian service. Our time together will be lively, sometimes controversial, always useful, and never dull. Welcome to the study of Pastor Bill Shishko.
1: And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. It's great to have you with us for another visit to the pastor's study. The figures regarding the world refugee situation are simply they're simply staggering, according to the United Nations Refugee Agency. There are over 68 and one-half million forcibly displaced people worldwide, men, women, and children, who have been forced to flee their home due to war, persecution, and famine. 68 and one-half million people. That's that's more than the combined populations of California and Texas, which are the two most populous of America's 50 states. Over 25 million of these are refugees, displaced people who have been forced to cross their national boundaries and are unable to return to their homes safely. 25 million refugees, that's more than the combined populations of the states of Pennsylvania and Illinois. And each day, 44,000 people are forced to flee from their homes due to conflict or persecution in their communities or in their nations. Now, since 1975, the United States has accepted more than 33 million refugees for permanent resettlement within its borders. That's more than any country in the world. In fiscal 2016, the United States admitted nearly 85,000 refugees into our country. Well, since 2016, the American policies regarding refugees are in flux with many of the changes introduced by the Donald Trump administration being challenged in the courts. Nevertheless, in 2017, nearly 50,000 refugees were admitted into the United States. Now, let's be honest and let's be realistic about the challenges nations face when it comes to receiving refugees Nations need to protect their borders, and they have the right to establish rules and regulations so that refugees can be assimilated into their new country, even as they're protected from harm. Now, Given the sheer number of refugees and the magnitude of the work to register, monitor, and process them, as well as to make provision for food and clothing for those who usually arrive in a new country with few earthly possessions, Well, we need to admit that there are no easy answers to such a complex humanitarian challenge, let alone a massive complex humanitarian challenge. Now, what is clear is that the Bible, particularly the New Testament, commends love for strangers, what most versions of the Bible translate as hospitality. A stranger is someone who, for whatever reasons, has been removed from the place and the people that had provided him or her security in the world. Strangers are no longer parts of the communities, the work, and the religious institutions with which they were familiar. Sometimes, tragically, they're separated from other family members. And at least in our nation and its current cultural climate, there's usually a high level of suspicion about these strangers now within our borders, they regard it as potential or actual threats to our national security, as criminals, as people whose mores threaten our cultural identity, as drains on our economy. Nevertheless, Christians should see these strangers as opportunities to show the love of strangers, which is the literal meaning of hospitality. According to the Bible's books of Timothy and Titus, elders those leaders called out from the local congregations to minister the word of God and to rule the church under the authority of the word of God must be hospitable. They must represent the hospitality of God and showing God's love, not just to other Christians, but also to strangers. And in the Bible's books of Romans and First Peter, all Christians are not only called to show love to strangers, but according to the Apostle Peter, we are to do that without Grumbling. And refugees are a huge group of strangers to whom we are called to show hospitality. How does the State Department seek to resettle these refugees? Well, it works with nonprofit agencies that receive some of their assistance from the federal government, but it also works with local communities that are willing to lend a hand with the massive task of resettling those who, for whatever reasons have come to our shores from other nations. And in those local communities, there are always churches, churches that can and should be in the forefront of this kind of service. One of the most remarkable local communities that's setting an example of both receiving refugees and working to provide them with housing and English language assistance and job training and employment is the little town of Clarkston, Georgia. It's located northeast of the sprawling metropolitan Atlanta area. And while its population is only about 13,000 people, Clarkston, Georgia, has helped over 40,000 refugees in the past quarter of a century. It's been called the Ellis Island of the South because of the number of nations, languages, and cultures that are represented there. It is a virtual United Nations Welcoming about 1,500 refugees per year and refugees from some of the most far flung areas of the world. And serving along with other Christians and non Christians in this model refugee resettlement community is evangelist Chris Cashin. Having formerly served as a lawyer, Chris subsequently entered Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, where he graduated with his Master of Divinity degree in 2013. Following three and a half years of service in the pastorate, in 2017, he was called by Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Doraville, Georgia, for the express purpose of ministering to the refugee community in Clarkston, Georgia. And today, on a visit to the pastor's study, evangelist Chris Cashin will take us into the world of the Ellis Island of the South, Clarkston, Georgia. He'll give us a feel for the challenges and the blessings of ministry to refugees. And he will be challenging all of us to show love to strangers, biblical hospitality that goes way beyond getting together for a meal with other Christians. Now remember that this program invites you and encourages you to visit the pastor's study by way of your phone calls or texts to be on air as part of the program. Just call 631 955 Five four zero zero. Jot down the number to be on the air: six three one nine five 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 four zero zero. Or you can text your questions anytime during the week, but particularly for this program at this number for text questions only: five one six three six seven zero three nine one five one six three six seven you can put that under Pastor Bill I'd love to get your text questions in part because they help compose our monthly open forums so any of the questions that are on your mind about doctrine, practical Christian living, issues of conscience these matters, feel free to text them at any time to Pastor Bill 516-367 0391 but today on a visit to the pastor's study we're talking about the imposing and very, very blessed ministry of showing hospitality to refugees. Chris Cashin, welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. Good
2: morning. Thank you very much. It's a a blessing for me to be here.
1: Good to have you with us, Chris, from down in Georgia. Hey, uh, Chris, tell us about Clarkston. Kind of give us, I mentioned to you, you turn turn our ears into eyes. What do you see when you walk and uh, drive around Clarkston? Hmm. Well, um, let me first say thank you very much uh, for, for your introduction
2: And uh, and this aspect of, of the challenge to love our neighbors And love these strangers Because that's really what this is all about And I'm hopeful that uh, during our time together this morning That's going to become so very clear That this ministry is very simple And it's really all about loving those who are around us you know, Especially these strangers Well, Clarkston is really a city of Strangers, so to speak. It's a very small place. Um, it's only about 1.4 square miles, uh, and only one square mile of that is land, so it's really tiny. Uh, New York City, in comparison, is about 304 square miles, uh, so Clarkston is tiny. It's on the edge of Atlanta, uh, Atlanta being the ninth largest metropolitan area in the United States. Uh, and Clarkston is sort of, in a way, just kind of a sleepy bedroom community, uh, which is the result of urban sprawl of the 1960s and 70s. Uh, in a sense, it's a, a place that kind of got left behind as people continued to to earn more money and move further and further away from the city uh, to get more land, more space, larger houses. And what was left, in a sense, uh, was Clarkston. And so it's a a much different place than it was in in the late 60s and 70s. There's not much industry within the city limits. In fact, I I really don't know of any. Uh, It's really a a bedroom community. Residential properties abound in Clarkston. Uh, You can imagine the jobs are in and around Atlanta and and really not in Clarkston itself. Uh, Georgia State does have a campus here, Atlanta School for the Deaf as a, as a campus here as well, but uh, but really it's mostly residential. You you see diversity here. So I was asking my wife as we were coming uh, here this morning, how would you describe Clarkston? And she just really said one word: diverse.
1: Yeah. What are your what are your nationalities there, Chris? Well, uh,
2: our time here is is rather uh, has been limited. We've only been here a year, but we've met people from. Many many uh, African uh, countries: Congo, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, Central African Republic, Rwanda, Kenya, Burundi, Nigeria, Tanzania. in the Middle East: Syria and Iran. From South Asia: Afghanistan, Pakistan, Uzbekistan. And from the Far East: Thailand and Nepal. And even even from our neighbors to the south: Guatemala. So. It has it been stated, as uh, we go to Clarkston High School's website, it says it's the most diverse uh, school system in DeKalb County. Six of the seven continents are represented. Fifty-four countries are represented. Forty-eight languages are spoken in Clarkston oh, High School.
1: That's amazing. And this is a community of 13,000 people.
2: Yeah, some have estimated it's up to 20,000. It's hard to put your finger on it because the, the refugees are transient. They come, they go. And so I'm not sure that anyone has a good yeah. feel for it. But somewhere between 13 and 20,000, yes,
1: it's a small community. So, so, Chris, when the people come there, uh, what do they do? I, I mean, where are they housed? Do they go to the local schools? Uh, do they have jobs? What's that? What's that whole picture like?
2: Yeah, when people come, they, they need to uh, start running right away. Meaning, uh, dads need to get jobs uh, because they've got a limited amount of support that they get from the federal government. So, within the first couple of months, they need to be employed. Um, the children are immediately enrolled, enrolled in schools, and and primarily in the public school system. There are a few private schools that seek to assist, but not many. As you can imagine, refugees don't come with large bank accounts, and so they're not able to take advantage of private schools. Uh, And so they're immediately enrolled in either an international school, which is going to seek to to meet their needs in terms of language uh, assimilation, or if they've got some language abilities, they'll go right into into the public school with, with the mainstream of the rest of the children. And moms, moms are staying at home for the most part and taking care of the small children and, and cooking and doing what they did in their in their home countries.
1: And where are they housed, Chris? Are there special housing communities there for the refugees?
2: Well, the answer to that one, I think, is yes and no. Uh, as I said, the, the, the community of Clarkston really developed because uh, the of uh, the way Atlanta developed. The perimeter, which is, the, if you're familiar with Washington, D.C., it's the Beltway, but it's that uh, circular highway that goes around Atlanta. That was finished in the late 1960s, and as a result of that, the developers, I understand, began to build a lot of apartments just on the edge of the perimeter so that people would have that transportation. But in Clarkston, there are about 38 apartment complexes, and these are large apartment complexes. And so uh, as a result, again, as I said, of that urban sprawl, people moving out, the apartments became available. So there's affordable housing here in Clarkston where people with the refugees are able to live and, and afford to live and bring their families, large families to live.
1: So Chris, we're talking about the South. Um, if you went back a half a century ago, maybe not in that particular area, but certainly in parts of the South, there were real serious racial tensions. Mm-hmm. Uh with this diversity of people in such a small area, uh, are there those tensions? Uh, how is the community, or perhaps you're more familiar with the churches, how, how, how have they received this influx of people that, that comes?
2: Everything that we've seen so far has been calm and peaceful and people uh, welcoming the refugees. Now, I'm, I'm certain that that's not across the entire community. I'm certain there are those that maybe um, uh, regret or are not happy with, with the refugees that have come and maybe a feeling like as though they're taking jobs or, or spaces or things or maybe even uh, governmental dollars that should be better or, or maybe allocated in other places. But I'm really uh, not seeing that as we engage in the community here as of as of today. Uh, as what I'm seeing is this, this is really open arms that have been extended by the community, and indeed the refugees almost act as a magnet. The, the people want to come and serve, and they have. And so there is a there a sense of welcome, a welcome sense that, that, that the community seems to show forth. at least that's what that's our perception today.
1: Now we want to zero in after the break. Come up in a, in a couple of minutes, Chris. We want to hear about your ministry. But, but before that, you talk about a welcoming community, and, of course, that's what hospitality is about. Give, give us some specifics. Of what does that look like in Clarkston? Well, there, there are many
2: um, parachurch organizations that have either been established here or have roots on other places, and they've come here. And so one of those would be Friends of Refugees. Uh, they, uh, they, they have many different aspects and, and ways in which they serve the refugees. They've got what they call the Cafe Clarkson. And, and that is open two to three times a week where refugees can come in and have a resume made. They can look at the job bank. Uh, they can be directed where to go and, 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 and how to, to interview. And so there's help there with getting a job. They've got a sewing machine room, a room filled with sewing machines and the ability for women to come and make things and actually sell them. They've got ESL classes. English as a second language uh for women where they provide childcare. It's one of the largest uh ESL organizations in the community. And so this is a kind of a full orb and I if I might say diaconal or mercy ministry um uh organization that seeks to, to love and to help in all the different ways that the refugees
1: need help. Now, now you mentioned this is these are parachurch agencies. What about churches in Clarkston? Mm-hmm. Are they do they help the parachurch groups or, or, or are they on their own doing things? What is what what's that like?
2: Uh, the, the church is a little bit unique uh, in Clarkston proper. Um, and I'll just give you one one snapshot of that. there's a, there's one church is kind of a hub within Clarkson itself. It's called Clarkston International Bible Church. Uh, and they have opened their doors. So they have probably uh, nine to eleven ethnic churches that are worshiping within their their four walls. Uh, they've They've opened it up, they've given them space and they've welcomed them, they're, they're proclaiming the Word of God in their languages. So they've got a Pakistani church, uh, they've got a, a, a church with, with folks from Nepal, and on it goes. And that's not just one church, but there are actually at least three churches that have done that. They have the capacity to open up their doors and, and welcome them brothers and sisters so they can worship, in accordance with their tongues
1: and language. Now, where where do they get their translators, Chris? From the refugee community itself, or do they draw from the outside? Now, as these
2: churches are worshiping within the, the four walls, they're actually conducting their own worship services. So their worship services in their native tongue. Um, as far as translators are concerned, sometimes they're hard to find, and I need them myself uh, because that is one of the greatest challenges we have. Uh, but. As the churches, the ethnic churches come to worship, they're worshiping in their own tongue. They don't have translators.
1: But, okay, so so what, but do they have leaders, so they have, uh, like, elders or ministers from that ethnic group, correct? Yes. Okay, I see, I see what that is. And then the churches, then the churches work with those ethnic leaders who are refugees. Is that the idea?
2: Yes, I see that's exactly the idea. Uh, It's kind of a church within a church, and that's one way in which uh, Christians are are opening up and and seeking to have the Word of God continue to be proclaimed, even in in their native tongues.
1: Uh, Absolutely fascinating. I'm talking today with evangelist Chris Cashin, whose uh, ministry is in this place called Clarkston, Georgia. If you have a a uh, national map, or you can get a map of Georgia, look to the northeast, and you'll see little Clarkston that sounds to me like a miniature version of Queens, an area that's just over a square mile, uh, but it has people from from, all, from six of the of the continents of the world there and uh, evangelist Chris Cashin is set apart to work with them. I'm sure you've got your questions. I know I certainly do. We want to see find out more about what Chris himself does. If you'd like to call in with your questions for Chris Cashin, 631-955-5400, 631-955-5400. Or you can text your questions if you're more comfortable with that, 516 367 0391 put that under Pastor Bill 516 391 text questions only and we'll be back with more about Clarkston, Georgia and the work of Evangelist Chris Cashin after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study
0: that great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information. For information, check out the website at ReformationMetroNY.org where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study.
1: Pastor Bill Shishko here with you today. Fascinating topic. Ministry to refugees, but we're not dealing with uh, big, big abstract uh, issues here. We're talking about literally down-on-the-ground ministry in uh, a Little Queens, the Ellis Island of the South, which is Clarkston, Georgia, and Chris Cashin, who is one of the many ministers who works in that area. If you'd like to call Chris with your questions, 631-955-5400. 631-955-5400. If you want to text your question, 516-367-0391. Put that under Pastor Bill. 516-367-0391. Five one six three six seven zero three nine one. Well, Chris, you've you've given us the the, the big picture of this relatively small, uh, but but very busy community. Tell us about your. Uh, I would assume it's not ministry, but ministries in in Clarkston, mm. Georgia.
2: Mm. Yes, of course. When we came here. We really thought that, that, that the focus, the primary focus, would be the or the physical needs of the people. For um, so we know that as refugees come to this country, they don't come with a moving van. Um, they're, they're, they don't uh, ask us to, to unload their furniture for them, or, uh, to, to polish their cars. No, they're not coming with these things. And so we thought that that would be our primary focus initially. And it really hasn't turned out that way because of all of the, the, the organizations and, and, and the assistance that's already here. Now, we, we, have been helping, certainly, uh, for, in terms of physical things. For example, uh, one family whose, whose son, uh, has cancer, uh, uh, who's been in the hospital for, uh, quite some time, his father, Stopped work so that he could spend time with his son so that he could attend to his needs. Uh, they needed to move. Uh, they needed to leave the apartment that they were in and go to a cleaner place. And so as a result of that, and as, because dad wasn't working, uh, the church, we came in and, and paid for two months of their rent. And so uh, that was a way for us to, to connect with the family, to explain to them that this money is coming from the church and we're trying to show the love of Jesus, uh, to them. And so we have engaged in in those kinds of mercy ministries, those physical needs. We gave the family uh, uh, money for a hotel room when their apartment was flooded. We brought Tylenol and cough syrup to uh, a young child when he was sick late Saturday night. He's helped with groceries. And so we, we do engage in, in those kinds of physical needs, and that does give us the ability to to uh, to tell them why we're here and why we're doing those things. Uh, We've also provided gifts. Uh, During Christmas, we made uh, gift baskets and delivered them to some of our new friends. We put on an event here at at one of the apartment complexes uh, seeking to explain to those why we celebrate Christmas. Uh, And so those are a few of the things that we began doing
1: as as we came here. Yeah, so the whole church... Uh, that has called you Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Doraville, Georgia, which is how far away from Clarkston, Chris? Probably is the bird flies, maybe seven miles.
2: It takes about fifteen minutes on the highway to get here, so it's very close.
1: Yeah, okay. So, so the whole church, really, uh, you you just happen to be kind of a, a mouthpiece for the whole church working with them, right?
2: Well, yes, yeah, so you hit the nail on the head, uh, my friend. This this really is not a ministry of one man or a couple. It is a ministry for the church. Uh, I think it was Hillary Clinton that wrote the book, It Takes a Village. Well, this, this ministry is it takes a church. This is a ministry for the entire church to be engaged and involved in And, and it's an easy ministry. It doesn't take um, a seminary degree to be involved in this. Now, it just takes the love of Christ.
1: Yeah. This yeah i appreciate you mentioning that for all of our audience uh a visit to the pastor's study is about church we we are committed to biblically faithful churches that are ministering as christ would have us minister and that's it's wonderful to hear i love that that phrase it takes a church now your wife grace is involved with you with this chris
2: uh she is uh actually a very big part um I, I struggle at times. She was not the one called, but I, I am the one called to the, to the ministry. Uh, but uh, there are many things that I could not do if Grace Ann were not involved. Um, we've got a couple of ministries that we've begun. One is an after-school program for elementary school students, and and so uh, Grace Ann is is one who has that tender heart, who's able to receive the children, and and, and is in a sense, a mother figure as the children come in to our program. Um, I'm able to teach the Bible lesson. She's able to work with crafts, and we've got other folks in the church who are coming in to help with that. But, but really, it's the, the women here who are able to minister in a way that I cannot. And then as we teach English, as we help or seek to teach English to, to moms, primarily moms, Grace Ann is really leading the way. Um, because of the culture uh these are not americans and so the culture that these folks are coming from is so different it would be inappropriate for me as a man to go into the home of a woman uh and begin to teach her with her husband not present so grace ann can do that she can take our, our lesson that we learned monday night and now she can take it into the homes into the, the refugee's apartments and begin establishing those relationships with the women and teaching them english one on one she's she 's a great asset, and she 's a she 's a wonderful addition to our ministry yeah. here
1: yeah Chris is not just people from other cultures in which it 's true that a, that a male minister should not go to the house of a female alone. that should be a norm period it 's often called the the Billy Graham rule. Well, that, that's a matter of being irreproachable. So I'm I'm uh, so thrilled to hear about that with with your wife. Yeah, I, you, you you mentioned your after school program during the school year, but but you had an unexpected response when you thought the past school year was ended, didn't you?
2: We did. We were shocked. Uh, the school year was over. We were planning on taking a break from our after school program and kind of evaluating and figuring out what we're going to do for the fall. But when we uh, arrived here at the apartment complex where we were ministering uh, to do an English class in the evening, we were met by about 13 or 14 children who were just waiting to have the after-school program. We, we were shocked, uh, primarily because they were here and we weren't planning on it. Uh, but then because some of these children were children that had started attending and then had stopped attending our program, uh, now they were back, and so we were praising God that they were here. And we had an impromptu class that day. And as a result of them coming, and, and as a result of their interest, we changed our plans. And we had a, a, we had what we called our summer program this summer, and we've got one more week of it left. But it's been a, a real blessing for us to be able to continue the ministry that was begun and, and do something we sh- we hadn't even anticipated. The Lord's providential hand was. It's clearly shown. Where,
1: where do you meet for these, Chris? Because your church building is not there in Clarkston, Georgia.
2: No, it's it's not, and, and it's close, but for the refugees, proximity is critical. Uh, they they rely on bus transportation. They rely on trains for the most part. If they have a car, it's just one. So being uh, with them is so important. We've got an apartment complex. Uh, that has opened their doors to us. Uh, it seems to be fairly unusual, but we praise God for it. They've allowed us to use their exercise room, uh, even during the day, to, to hold our after-school program, to hold our English classes. And, in, in fact, during this past week, we just had a summer reading program for middle school students, and they've been wonderful. The, the management has not charged us. Uh, They've—it's uh, it's just been once again the hand of God being shown as we've come here and this door has been opened to us so we can minister in this particular community. A
1: beautiful example again of, of hospitality. Mm. Uh, I'm dealing today with uh, me talking with Chris Cashin, evangelist Chris Cashin, who has uh, the. Uh, amazing opportunity to work in, in a little little area, Clarkston, Georgia, in which there's at any given time about 1,500 or more refugees in this community. At least the official population is about 13,000. And uh, Chris, in just a moment, I want to want to find out a little bit more about your Bible studies and and uh, what what how you do those and so on. But just a moment to tell you about the group of churches that present this program as part of their outreach to you. These are churches in the metropolitan New York and southern Connecticut area. Uh, we have their Orthodox Presbyterian congregations in East Haddam, Connecticut, which is, which is Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, in Hamden, Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And then we just call it the OPC to make it easier. The OPC in Mount Vernon, New York, a Reformation Presbyterian Church, which is in Fresh Meadows, Queens, And here on Long Island, uh, OPC congregations in Franklin Square, in Syosset, Trinity Church, and then in Bohemia, which is not very far from our studios from which we broadcast. The program is a visit to the pastor's study, and it is the outreach of those churches through this voice. And if you'd like to listen to podcasts, and increasingly we're finding people are going to these magazine articles for the ear, we call them, and learning about all kinds of things you can get all of the past programs just by going to visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorsstudy.org. And we have, in the in, in summer months in particular, we focus on specific ministries. In June of 2017, uh, we had a fascinating interview with a, an American black couple on ministry to the American black community. Gives you quite a window on on, uh, cultural differences, primarily white churches don't even think about as they deal with our black brothers and sisters. um, Ministry to Asian Americans from a man that was born in South Korea and now ministers here in the United States. And then ministry to Hispanic Americans, very eye-opening, again, about cultural differences uh, that, that are um, make our Hispanic brothers and sisters particularly passionate brothers and sisters and and that presentation by Bracey Fozota will help you catch some of the passion uh, of our Hispanic uh, brothers and sisters and and how to minister to them and then, uh, then a fascinating interview with John Jenko a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in America, also June of 2017, Ministry to the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, increasingly getting uh, consideration in our culture. How do you minister to those who don't want to affiliate with any church? Lots of insights in that. So look these up. Visit thepastorsstudy.org is the site. You can also like us, follow us on Facebook. If you'd like to email me with your questions or your comments, your suggestions, uh, things you'd like to pass on, to Chris Cashin or other things, visit Pastor Bill at Gmail.com. That's all one word, visit Pastor Bill at Gmail.com. We're trying to take pastoral, biblically faithful pastoral ministry and bring it to you through the medium of, of radio, Facebook, uh, the Internet, and also by phone calls and so on. My guest today is Chris Cashin. Uh, who ministers in Clarkston, Georgia, the Ellis Island of the South, it's called. The topic is Ministering to Refugees. If you'd like to call in with your questions, 631-955-5400. Or you can text your questions at 516 367 Nine one. Chris, tell us about your Bible studies. Um, your, I don't know how much Bible knowledge, if any, you assume, and how do you approach that as you do your Bible studies?
2: Uh, good, good question. Um, as you know, many of, uh, many of the refugees don't come from a, a Christian background, uh, but we've met some who, who, who do. Uh, we've been ministering to a family from Central African Republic, uh, who comes here through Cameroon, um, and so we began with primarily with their eldest son to have a study in their home, and so we go over really um, foundational uh, biblical doctrines, uh, starting with sin. what is it, and what has it done to us, um, and then we talk about, well, then as a result of that, as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve, as a result of our fall, then what 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 has God done? And so we we try to piece together the the basic doctrines that they may not really appreciate and understand yet. They have certain Bible knowledge, but it's it's disjointed and probably uh, incomplete in terms of their understanding of what salvation really is. Now, there are others who we engage with. We just have a, a complete misunderstanding of who Christ is and what he's done. Um, and so these new friends, we were treating a bit differently, and we're not really engaging in a Bible study with them. We're trying to, to ease our way into building relationships uh, and, and building their trust so that we might ultimately be able to discuss with them and, and bring them into that which we would refer to as the Bible study and Bible knowledge.
1: Now, Chris, are these, are, are, what, what are the religious backgrounds of, of these folks, most of them not Christian background of any particular form? Uh,
2: the ones that we have met are, are not. Um, most folks that we are engaging with, most folks that we've met, are coming from a Muslim background. Uh, they're bringing that with them, and, and uh, that, as we will talk about in a bit, is one of the challenges. Uh, there are some that uh, are are from Asia, and so they are uh, uh, um, uh, coming from those uh, religions, um, Hindu um, uh, and, and others. Um, but the, for the most part, we've been engaging with those who are coming from Islam uh, and and remaining in Islam today.
1: So, how do they respond? Maybe you can't generalize, but but what are some of the typical responses you get when you minister the gospel to to the Muslims?
2: We've had a couple of varied responses. We've had a, a Syrian family in our home. Uh, we invited them to Thanksgiving dinner, and and during that time that they were there, we we shared portions of the gospel with them. We would uh, maybe the the Good Samaritan, uh, and using that as a as an illustration of. This is what we're trying to do with you. We're trying to love you in the way that Jesus has loved us. And here's a, here's a biblical account, a biblical story of how Jesus has taught us to, to treat others. And so this family uh, received that and was seemingly excited about it. they we're Muslim, and they were reading in their own native tongue. We had a, a dual-column New Testament where they could read this account uh, um, in Scripture in their own native tongue. And so it seemed as though they were understanding and appreciating it. Uh, now, there are others who, who we've talked with who, who seem to have the idea that Christianity and Islam really are one and the same. And so now, now as we approach those topics, we're able to begin speaking them in ways that inform that, that, that there's a significant uh, difference between the two. And, and uh, if we can, we'd love to explain those differences to you.
0: Well, so first
1: of all, of course, building that trust, which, which is so mm-hmm. Chris, you were trained as a lawyer. Uh, and You yes. practiced law. How many years did you practice law before you went to seminary?
2: Oh, let's see. That's a good question. <laughs> I graduated from, uh, from law school in 1991. I went to seminary in in, uh, 2000 and, uh, 2009. Wow. So, uh, not all that time was I practicing law, uh, but, uh, during a good portion of that time I was. Uh, but one of the reasons that, that I was called is because of my legal background, because we saw that as the, as a way to, to help refugees, uh, because of all the immigration issues. Now I'm not an immigration attorney but uh, I can certainly fill out forms and help in that regard. We've got one family who's seeking to bring their daughter uh, here to this country from Uzbekistan, uh, and we're trying to help filling out forms and and being able to submit the things that the government needs so she might be reunited with her daughter. So those are the ways in which we can help and engage and, and be part of the lives of those who are in great need here and use what I've been trained in.
1: Chris, I would... I would imagine if word gets out that you're a lawyer and you're helping, even filling out forms, I would think that wherever you're meeting, you'd have a line around the corner w- waiting to meet with you. Is that is that about right?
2: Well, it's not quite that way. There, there are folks, there are other folks who do provide legal services, uh, and the and the resettlement agencies are also tasked okay. with helping uh, refugees get their green cards. Uh, some resettlement agencies. Have uh, programs to train folks for the for the uh, citizenship test, uh, so it's not as though I would be the, the kind of an island and and no one else is doing this work. There are others who are also engaging in this, but it does give me the ability to to engage where others cannot
1: yeah yeah, it reminds me Chris uh, of not to, to get too far off this, but in in my own ministry in in, uh, in Long Island, as we began to deal more and more with with immigrants. Uh, we would talk about regularizing their situation, and either we would help yes. as they would directing them to lawyers or to government agencies, and that's a, that's a helpful way to look at that, and it's also help, a helpful way to help in our nation that's inundated with, uh, with so many uh, immigrants who are here that need to regularize their situation. Um, Chris, okay, okay what, are, what are some of the biggest challenges you face with this massive opportunity, and it, it's really you and your wife dealing with it?
2: Hmm. Well, probably the number one challenge uh, is language. Uh, as we meet people, uh, as we seek to befriend them and to help them, communication is is that greatest barrier to really beginning to establish that relationship. Now, that is the same, same thing that has brought us here, in a sense, uh, because the, the language is what gives us open doors. Uh, For instance, we just met a family uh, as we were in another apartment complex ministering to a Syrian family. Uh, There was a family from Africa. Their children were outside, just in the parking lot. Uh, And they approached us. It was amazing. Uh, They came to us. They actually invited us into their apartment. They wanted us to come. We weren't actually, actually sure what they were saying. But they're from Eritrea. And they speak a language which we hadn't even heard of before. It's called Afar. Uh, and, and so we're just trying to begin to teach them English with just writing out the alphabet. Um, and we've got Afghan families that you are trying to minister to. And within the same family, there are two different languages spoken. Dad speaks Pashto, uh, and, and Mom and, and the daughters and the, and the boys speak Dari. Uh, in, the, in the Syrian homes, they're speaking Arabic in this uh, home from Central African Republic. They speak their tribal language and they speak French. It's the biggest challenge for us I is to, to engage, uh, but uh, but it provides a bit of a barrier.
1: Yeah, it makes you it makes you almost wish that the that the gift of speaking in tongues or interpreting tongues continued today. But but it doesn't. We now have to to work hard to learn to learn the language. At that, yeah. yeah, that's something certainly to to pray for for you. Um, well, Chris, what? And, and I should mention we we should mention that that Chris is an associate to Pastor Zacharias Abraham. Who's not able to be with us in the program today because he's attending the the funeral of a of a of a, of a very close pastor. I it was a very close pastor to him. Um, but but Pastor Abraham speaks uh, to Grinya, and you mentioned before there's there's refugees from Eritrea there. Is there a desire to have a a particular outreach to Eritreans in Clarkston, Georgia?
2: Um, absolutely. Um, uh, and, and, Lord willing, will not only begin but continue uh, to do that. Uh, our, our brother uh, is is going to be able to engage with Eritreans, obviously, immediately. Uh, and so that was where we thought the ministry would actually begin and be founded. It hasn't uh, evolved that way, um, but we know that there is a significant community here, and we're praying that we can break into it. And that, um, and that we would be able to provide that reform doctrine that we believe it, that sure. they need. Absolutely. Um there is also a ministry amongst Ethiopians here. Uh, and there's a large Ethiopian community and, and he is able to, uh, to, to engage with them in, in a way that I'm, I'm not able to, at least immediately. Uh, but we're also ministering to a church, uh, here in a, a, uh, Ethiopian church and we're teaching the youth uh, who are primarily Americans because they've been born here and they're English speakers. Interesting. So he, he, he's a, such a he's such a wonderful um, asset for us for this ministry, and he really is a leader in it as well.
1: Yeah, for the Ethiopians, it's Amharic is the language that they use, right?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well,
1: Chris, we just got a little bit more than a minute left before we come to our counsel from the pastor's study. Give us some practical suggestions for Christians and churches mm-hmm. who want to minister to refugees in their areas.
2: Yeah, the, the first practical suggestion is that, that this is uh, simple. Um, I certainly don't want anyone to go away from, from our conversation this morning thinking that, that you have to have some... Yeah. Uh, training or a degree, because you don't. The Lord Jesus Christ has told us that the second uh, greatest commandment is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And and that's it. That's really what this ministry is about. It's merely the work of loving your neighbor as Jesus Christ has loved us. And so you can do that by reaching out, finding who the resettlement agencies are in your area, and I'm sure that most of them are present there in New York, contacting them, and seeking to be a volunteer with them. That's how you're going to be able to meet refugees and get into their homes. Volunteer with English as a second language. And, again, you don't need a degree to do that. You can sit. It's merely pointing to pictures and saying the word and and helping and really spending time with people. You can can provide transportation uh, to a refugee. All of these things are simple things that we do in our daily lives. Take a refugee to the grocery store. Excellent. Very simple things, but things that, that they need and, and would excellent. really appreciate.
1: Excellent, excellent, excellent. Chris, give us your contact information so that people who want to pursue some of these things with you can do so.
2: Yeah, the, probably the easiest and best way to contact me is on my phone. That's 757-717-0040. I'll say that again, 757 757- Seven one seven zero zero four zero. You can also send me a text message on that. If you'd like to contact me by email, it's just my name, cb as in boy, cashen, c a s h e n, at gmail.com.
1: And Chris, give us your cell phone number one more time for people writing it down.
2: Yes, it's 757
1: Thank you, Chris Cash, an evangelist who is working with refugees in Clarkston, Georgia. Thank you for being with us today. This portion of the program we call Council from the Pastor's Study, the immigration-slash-refugee issue. biblical word here is discernment, how to judge between two things, and being of a sound mind. And in order to do that, we need to keep a couple of things, or even if you want, a couple of spheres separate. One sphere is the civil government, or what's often called the magistrate. And you read of this in Romans chapter 13 in the New Testament. The government's responsibility is to protect its citizens. It is called a minister of God to you for good, and that includes being good stewards of tax dollars, The government has a responsibility to protect its borders and not bring a nation into jeopardy and to emphasize that those coming to our nation are to abide by the laws of the land. And it's to have a reasonable but thorough vetting process, as has been done in the past. That's the role of the magistrate or the civil government. And we need to pray for wisdom for our national leaders in this regard. These are very, very challenging issues. We need to engage our heads as well as our hearts Uh, That's with respect to the civil government and the magistrate. Now, the other sphere, and the one we're more familiar with, is the church. The church should seize every opportunity to bring the gospel to people. That's the great commission to make disciples of. All of the nations, teaching them to keep everything I've commanded, Jesus said. God in his providence is now bringing all the nations, literally, to places like Clarkston, Georgia. And please pray for the labors of evangelist Chris Cashin and others laboring there and in other refugee communities. Love to strangers is the biblical mandate, not what is called xenophobia, fear of or even hatred of people of other cultures and other languages. Our burden as Christians is to see people converted to Christ as Savior and as Lord. Is hatred of other cultures, is that is that a challenge for you? Do you resent other cultures because they challenge your national culture? And then, my friend, you need to repent. See, our culture as Christians is not first American culture. It's a culture of the kingdom of God. It's a culture of grace and truth as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's our culture we will reach out to and seek to minister and seek to see transformed those refugees who are before us how do you do it well uh, evangelist chris Cashin mentioned this hospitality we have a whole program on that on a visit to the pastor's study hospitality gods and hours on february 24th 2018 you can get that at visit the pastors but what does that look like encourage hospitable churches as pastor Cashin mentioned esl classes helps in life skills helping people use computers and computer programs and personal finance and acquiring a job and job skills, hiring refugees, mentoring them, opening the church's heart. Let it begin with the churches, but the churches are made up of people. Let it begin with your open heart toward your own neighbors gas station attendants and retail clerks and so on as you see them and they're from other countries don't be afraid of them get to know them and 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 let them know of your of your thankfulness that you can know them and then open your home friendships meals learning about their own cultures helping people understand our culture becoming all things to all people that by all means we might save some have the goal of that Rosaria Butterfield developed so eloquently in her book The Gospel Comes with a house key, turns strangers into friends, friends into family. And family by grace into part of the family of God my thanks to Chris Cashin. do pray for his labors as an evangelist in Clarkston Georgia uh, the Ellis Island of the South if you'd like to call him the phone number seven five seven seven one seven zero zero four zero seven five seven seven one seven zero zero four zero hey appreciate your feedback or your questions email me at visit pastor bill that's all one word visit pastor bill at gmail.com remember Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, so be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord and the church that is faithful to the Word of God. And remember, everyone needs a pastor. Lord, we pray that you will bless every effort to bring the gospel to those who are strangers in our land. Amen. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York. Our website is www.ReformationMetroNY.org. Again, that's www.ReformationMetroNY.org. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.VisitThePastorsStudy.org. Dot .org that's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org listen in next week at 12 noon for another edition of a visit to the pastor's study remember everyone needs a pastor